0: Oh boy, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I don't even know what to say at this point. Like, we're so far past a good start. Well, let's start with it six
1: to be the Oilers. (laughs) Yep. Okay, let's start there. Especially Jack Campbell. And when so convincing, it was blamed on the backup goalie Uh who was waived. Not sure that was the pyrotechnics we were hoping for especially after Jay Woodcroft walked off the bench yeah. mid game. Let's let's just count. Let's just count up the moments that were like not just notable but like LOL worthy or LULZ worthy. Sure. From yes. from this game. Um there were so many. Like JT Miller getting so far under Connor McDavid, like, I haven't seen anyone get that far under someone's skin since James Gum, who was, of course, the serial killer in Sounds of the Lambs. <laughs> and Very good. not only does McDavid lose his mind, right? Can't believe he wasn't called for a penalty mm-hmm. on the just like away from the, the play cross check he th- tossed at Miller. But later on that shift, like, when the play resumes, he throws just such an obvious pick on Quinn Hughes. Mm hmm. And then he comes down the ice and throws the massive late hit on Suter. And then probably should have been penalized for roughing. Like, by the time it was done, he got a two-minute minor. He was still upset about it. There was like 10 minutes worth of Pims in about a 35-second span, man. You can't lose all composure like that and then whine when you get a penalty called against you. And then JT Miller comes out of the box and scores a goal that only one guy in the building sees. Connor Garland raises Mm -hmm. his hands. And sort of deprives Rogers Arena of, like, the big cathartic like goal celebration and Yeah, celebration. as McDavid yeah. skates across the ice. And even that doesn't matter. Like, even that wasn't too regrettable. And then later, because the Oilers were such, were so pissy. Mm-hmm. Can we get a follow-up on that? <laughs> to, to steal a phrase from our good <laughs> friend Jim Matheson. Although I think now we know the answer to yeah. why are you so pissy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've confirmed the answer
1: to that. Now. Two in one. Because of that, the Canucks, like, were happy to dig the knife in, right? Like, this wasn't, oh, let's not challenge for clear goaltender interference because we're up 10-0. Like, this was a team very, very pleased mm. to dig the knife in. So, power play one goes out. Just an absolute laugher, like, two absolute laugher seam passes. Hughes, Pettersson, Besser. Easiest goal of his career. Easiest goal of his career. Like, just dissect the Oilers' penalty kill for good measure. And then... Who was it? Who was the defender that knocked Besser's oh, stick man. out of his hand? I forget. I want to say CC,
0: but it might be wrong. I don't know. I think it
1: was CC, but yeah. I. Uh, but we won't uh, directly pinpoint him. And Besser just like I <laughs> think slashes his stick out of his hand. It twirls up like um like a parade leader. What do they call those parade leaders? Ooh. A twirler. A marshal? A marshal. Grand marshal of a parade? The grand grand parade marshal, Brock Besser, twirling his stick because of a slash, and just like no expression on his face catches it. Nonchalantly catching it. (laughs) That was the capper. Oh that my was, god. So, And Nathan and Victoria
0: texted a tremendous entertainment product delivered by the Canucks last night, which is absolutely right. And I just want everyone to pause for a second and think how crazy it is that it's we're less than a week out from them putting 10 goals on the San Jose Sharks. And that is somehow only the second funniest <laughs> and most ridiculous <laughs> game that they've played this week. Like that game was that game last night was even funnier and more hilarious and just more spectacular in every sense of the word. Than, than the San Jose game was yeah even. it was good it was
1: really good and and so the first after the first period right because the first laugh line of the game was you know 19 to one nothing Oilers and the Canucks score on their mm-hmm. next two shots and by the way those shots were a deflection off a skate right and and Pe suitor from long range through the goalie mm-hmm. like through his nine right hole. through the goalie yeah like those were laugher goals so that was the first hilarious joke was the Oilers come out and throw their absolute best punch and it's 2-1 mm-hmm. and then 3-1, although that goal was more like Canucks actually, you know, not not that any goal is undeserved in a league as hard as the NHL and the puck movement uh, on, the, on the Hughes goal that got kicked in was enough to stress the defense out. But, I mean, that was an awesome third goal. But the other two were like, oh, classic comedy of errors, Oilers stuff. Yep. After that period, I thought this was the game, or this was the period anyway where you could see the seams, where you could see, you know, the Oilers come in, an, a, a team that I think still elite based on their true talent. They throw their fastball. The Canucks cannot hit it at all. Mm-hmm. And yet the Canucks end the period up 3-1. Like, this is the sort of positive result where you, you know, are happy to bank the points, but which may... Like, augur poorly. It could have been like game two of the season, right? Where you're totally.
0: like, hey, we win, but that we survived, right? Yeah. You,
1: they w- yeah, I thought we were going to be on the radio here and being like, they won, great. But if too many of their games look like that, they're going to be in trouble. And then they just take over the second period. Yeah. Completely. And the, the goal that the Oilers score is kind of a freebie. Um, I thought in real time that it was a bad goal and that Rick Tockett should have challenged it. I think the fact that he didn't is telling mm-hmm. uh, and I sort of pulled a bunch of uh, contacts around the industry and I got a lot of feedback that said they thought talk. It was right not to challenge the play that Holloway. If you watch the video had done enough to meet the requirement for like a reasonable Trying effort out of the way. Yeah, yeah. The reasonable effort to avoid contact and that, um, you know, in fact it probably would have, would have stood and the Canucks would have just taken a penalty, lost their time out. So probably a good call. From talking, then ultimately a good call. And and I, that Hoaglander goal, the fourth goal, first of all, I think that was the decisive moment that broke the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously the Canucks kind of begun, began to uh, crack open the Oilers with those first two goals within a minute, both kind of fortunate bounces. But that fourth goal, that Hoaglander goal, I feel is, I feel is emblematic of where this Canucks team is at – and where the national conversation is going about this team, around this team as they head east, right? Yeah, because we've been having the
0: sustainability conversation here mm. in Vancouver. But now, as they rocket up the standings, they score a big win over Edmonton. Like, I think you're starting to see that spread kind of to the national <laughs> media, yes, and the
1: league wide media. Like, hey, what's going on in Vancouver, and is it going to last? Now, as the Canucks head east, to where people in Ontario can actually like stay up late enough to watch them, right? People are going like, hey. What, how's this team that's outscoring their opponents yeah. like they're the 1980s Edmonton Oilers, <laughs> um, how are they doing this? And a lot of them are landing on the luck thing. And the Hoaglander goal for me is emblematic of what I think's going on here, which is that, and I, and I want it to be noted here. Like, the, the analytics argument against the Canucks right now anyway, I don't think it's a good one. Like, I don't think it's a convincing one. Mm. I don't think, and you know our regular listeners know that if there was reason to be like, this is all smoke and mirrors, I would be on the radio saying this was all smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And the Hoaglander goal for me is, is sort of an, expl- a partial explainer for why, what happens when you're leading constantly, right? Two things. Typically one desperate teams, throw pucks on net to chase the game. They're looking for bounces. They're looking to stress out the defense. They shoot at a higher volume, but those higher volume shots tend to be, lower danger shots which can juice a goalie save percentage. Now Demko's also stopping the five alarm scoring chances mm-hmm. and almost all of them take something really special or quasi legal to beat him at the moment. But you know the the fact is is in a lot of these games the Canucks have played, you think about Dallas for example the other night, right? Teams are chasing the game and they're peppering the Canucks from everywhere and Demko's going to stop those ninety five seven percent of the time and sustainably 97 percent of the time the other thing that happens is teams start to take risks and some of those are reckless like bouchard's pinch Mm -hmm. when hoaglander sort of hit the puck across the blue line and skated onto it was that was a terrible play i think that was a low hockey iq play from bouchard especially given that edmonton was only trailing by one but as teams chase the game what happens it opens up for the canucks on the rush an area where they're generating an awful lot of offense in contrast to what we've seen in previous years. Hoaglander, Lafferty, uh, Beauvillier, streak one way. You know, Skinner gets makes the first stop. Hoaglander, who's playing great hockey, mm-hmm. makes no mistake on the second. And, you know, at the end of it, it's like, hey, well, the, you, you score on one of those two chances. That's a 50% shooting clip. That's partly what we're seeing. There's like a there's like um positive reinforcement or a feedback loop, yep. That the Canucks are effectively in here, that's helping them maintain higher percentages, and it's as a result, in part, of the fact that they they are playing good hockey, and and you can't ignore that. I, I, I'd add this, right? People are citing their expected goal and its numbers, which are a little soft, but as as I'll often say, like we're too early in the season to be focusing on any data point that like bins or weights data when we don't have enough data to begin with, like just go with the larger sample. And especially when the binned data, the public data, like we know it struggles to measure things like cross um, ice movement or, uh, you know, shot velocity, things like that. It's basically location data. Um, You know, it's out of line with like shot attempt differential, unblocked shot attempt differential, shot differential differential. Obviously, the Canucks goal differential, which is also <laughs> out of line with the other metrics, but in, a to- in, the, in the totally opposite direction. The fact is, just look at shot attempts. Like, shot attempts, they're the, the biggest sample of them. You wait them for uh, to try and adjust or correct for how often this team has been leading through their first uh, 12 games. And you'll get to a Canucks team that at 5-on-5 five five looks like they're above average, like 11th in the NHL. Well, if you're an above-average 5-on-5 five five team, if that's your profile, Plus, your special teams are good, right? The the penalty kill looks good, although I will say underlying profile of the PK, I'm beginning to get a little bit concerned. I, think, uh, what I The way I would phrase it is if
0: the penalty kill is obviously improved, and I think if you add the special teams together, you're firmly in the good category. You're firmly in the good. The power well, play is really good. Power right? play might so be
1: special. Special teams as a whole is still it's a net positive. Yeah, you're right. And no, I shouldn't have digressed. But I will say I'm getting a little bit concerned about how much the Canucks are surrendering Four on five in terms of the rate at which teams are generating attempts, shots, scoring chances against them. So uh, just something to watch for. But overall, I think even if the Canucks end up being below average on the penalty kill, such a massive improvement from where they were. Mm -hmm. And when you combine it with an elite, like I think a power play that has a chance to be really special now. Um, You know, I I think you're still going to be firmly in the good and maybe even better than that category on special teams. And then Demko, is Demko going to keep, Stopping ninety six percent of high danger shots against all season probably not right like yeah. has he been possessed by the the you know a soul of prime Dominic Hasek maybe but is that going to last all season who knows more than anything though Demko's playing well like and 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 we don't when I say Demko's playing extraordinarily well that's not like saying I don't know if Spencer Martin can yeah. keep it up I don't know if uh, I don't know who else is playing. Jonathan Quick is playing unbelievable hockey. Mm-hmm. Like I- I'm far more confident Sergey Demko- Bobrovsky in
0: the playoffs. Sergey, Bro- oh,
1: I had no faith in yeah. that. You remember we oh, yeah. were on the radio. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Demko does it, though, I'm like, okay, Demko is really good. Demko's exceptional. Uh, is he going to maintain this? Probably not. But is he going to be good all year if he's healthy and and properly rested? Which the Canucks have done a good job to do in the early going. I say I say more than likely. You combine those things and it's not like the analytics point of view or perspective on this team should be negative. Like there is no justification as I see it to fade the Canucks as like at least meeting the whale team good mark. Uh Uh-huh. So established by an unsigned textbook. Yeah. Yeah. Like Which people are just tweeting at me now. (laughs) I know. By
0: the way, I love it. Which is fantastic. Whale team good. Got to acknowledge it.
1: Where we should be landing at this point is from what we've seen, like whale team good, whale team probably not always going to be this lucky. Well, and here's the thing. It's like... Even we we had this conversation a little bit
0: yesterday, but I'm still seeing this attitude pop up when people from outside the market and around the league are talking about it. It's not a binary thing where the only two options are the Canucks have been this absolute unbeatable juggernaut and they've earned every bounce and nothing's going to change, or the team is secretly terrible. You know what I mean? Like we both we know. Neither of those things are true. I don't. Yeah, mean, it shouldn't be a hot take to say that the Canucks aren't going to have you know a seventy nine point percent percentage for the rest of the year. Right? <laughs> no, like that's not a hot
1: take. That's not criticizing the team. It's just acknowledging reality. But the thing is, the Canucks aren't suddenly the seventy eight Habs. I don't think exactly. That's not controversial. But but there's so like they
0: also have a plus thirty goal differential. So even if you adjust the percentages to cut their goal differential in half they're still at plus 15 through 12 games. Like, that's still good. You know what I mean? For so I sure. That's the thing that a lot of people are missing. It's not a binary of, well, there's been some unsustainable things happening, and that means the team is bad, actually. It's like, no, it doesn't mean the team is bad, actually. It's just they're on a hot
1: run right now, but yeah, you can be on a hot run and still be good when the hot run goes away. The, the only thing I would be saying, like, wh- where we should be paying attention to the bounces is, like, I'm not prepared through 12 games to say this is an elite team That I view as a contender. Mm. You know who I bet also would probably agree with that is, like, I don't think the Canucks players feel like they've earned anything yet or Mm. achieved anything yet. I don't think Rick Tockett feels like he has. And Jim Rutherford, right, who said, we're a playoff team if everything breaks right, I think he'd agree. Yeah, I don't think we're necessarily an elite team yet. We've got some things to do. There's a reason we keep hearing that the club wants to add, right? But but I think anyone suggesting that this is smoke and mirrors and that this team isn't good and, and at the very least trending toward being comfortably better than I expected, mm-hmm. than than the betting markets expected, than most analysts expected. Like even the people who are picking the Canucks as a solid playoff team, I think would, would like your your, you know, Travis Yost um, frankly dumb decision, right? Would would say this team's performed in a way that exceeds their expectations. So that's fun. Like that's yeah. good. This is a good team. This is a team that's playing good hockey and it's fun to watch. And yeah, have they been have they been a little overheated? Sure. But that they haven't been so overheated that we should be adopting a fade position and looking at like the rest of the season as, you know, a, a struggle or a team that's like going to going to have a really tough time keeping their head above water. You know, they've put themselves in a position where they can be like mid. Well, Sorry, they can be worse than mid and make the playoffs. They can be mid and be a 100-point team. Yeah. That's the power of a good start. And if they're, you know, not even this, but like this with with slightly less favorable bounces, I mean, they could challenge for the vision. I, I, th- that's where they're at now. That's the position they put themselves in by running downhill, making a meal, out of the the start of the season and banking points the way they have full credit full this, credit to them. This text uh, comes in. When can we stop feeling
0: like the bottom's going to fall out after twenty five to thirty games? And I think that's kind of what we're getting at is there's no sign that the bottom is going to fall out in the sense that it's going to turn into a disaster at all, or or that all of a sudden they're going to be winning. You know. Uh, they're going to be at at like a 400 points percentage for a sustained time. Like, again, it will slow down, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if this team plays at a hundred point pace for the rest of the season, right? Like it it depends on their star players and all of that, of course, but I can, like they can still slow down significantly while performing at something like a hundred point pace or a 98 point pace. Right. So to me, that's a lot different than the bottom falling out. And I think that's what we're trying to get at here. There's, there might be reasons to expect them to slow down, but there's no reason to expect this. Based on what we're seeing right now, what we've seen through their first 12 games, there's no reason to expect this to absolutely collapse in a kind of uh, you know, nightmare fashion, which I think some people are still texting in worried about. Um, are they? Uh, a, a, a couple people. That is Canucks fan 101. Yeah. And you yeah. know, one guy in particular who's filling our inbox right now who's insisting
1: that they're just a 95-point team, which maybe. No, no, no. no that uh, could be true. But, but. So if you think they're a 95 point team, which is probably pretty close to where I'm at, I'm probably mm. a point or two higher than that at this point based on where this club is trending. I was probably closer to 92, 93 before the season. So that's the type of degree of shift that I'm taking in about 12 games. I need to see a lot more before I make something uh, a grander pronouncement. And by the way, those grander like if you're if you're one of the listeners who tunes into uh, hate listen or dislike listen, Like I need to make the adjustment to this team is like a contender or I can see a path to building a contender here before I'm going to start to revisit priors on things like the Hironic trade and and on and on. Mm -hmm. So there is a time where I might be like, hey, I had a lot of stuff wrong, this, this, and this. I did a bit of that yesterday, but I'm not going to be there before 30 games. I need to fundamentally alter my view of this team. So, But even if you're a 96-point true talent team and you perform at that level over the balance of the season – right? I mean, you're still a 101 point team because an 82 point like um like you'd still pick up 82 points over the balance at a 96 point clip, add that to the 19 you've already taken in. Yeah. That's a 101 point team. So even if they're a 95 point team on true talent with the lead that they've spotted themselves, that's a 100 point team. You see what I'm saying? Like it, to get to 94 points at this point, the Canucks only have to perform like an, a high 80s at a high 80s point clip the rest of the way. We 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 talk about this every year. I'm someone who's, like, always weighted starts extremely heavily because it's just so brutally difficult yeah. to catch, catch up in a league with a broken standing system, frankly, right? Three-point games and the way that those begin to manifest themselves late in the year with those gentleman agreements, third periods, and teams not pushing late. Like, it's really, really difficult to catch up if you're in a hole unless you're an elite, elite team. And can go on some stupendous, like hit some stupendous level, and then sustain it for months on end. Um, The opposite's true too. Like by the time you start out like this, nine two and one, like you're you're a playoff team short of something really dramatic. Like Mm -hmm. something would have to fall out. The bottom, in terms of the bottom falling out, like it's not even enough for the percentages in my mind to normalize based on where this team's true talent level likely is. For them to be a non-playoff team. Like, it's going to have to be something weirder, sadder, less predictable than that, even. So, I mean, that's one thing we can take away from this. Like, one thing we can take away from this is the Canucks have already accomplished enough that they're overwhelmingly likely to be playing playoff hockey Mm -hmm. uh, come April. And you know and they've given them they've not just done that
0: but they've put themselves in a position to shoot for more too right to like actually sure. legitimately challenge for the division or yeah. ice, right? where they've put themselves in a position where that's a realistic conversation now and the last thing is
1: the season is long 82 games it will ebb and flow mm-hmm. right the mark of a good team is that when you're stuck in the mud like carolina is a good example carolina has had pretty brutal luck goaltending injuries uh, finish finishing struggles on and on and if you go look at their you know first few games like they're surviving right they're mm-hmm. they're, they're not crushing it but they've got 14 points in, in 12 games yeah well over 82 games that type of form once things start to go your way a little bit for a streak of 10 or whatever they'll rack up their own nine2 and one run you know but but starting the season the way they have they've survived and actually managed to do well the Canucks have at least passed that test where with things in their favor, things going their way, they've been structurally sound enough to make a meal of it, to take full advantage. And bu- this uh,
0: bungalow Jim in Victoria texts in, and it, it touches on what you're saying right here. He says, while the Canucks play has been promising, I'm still a little worried that they've been feasting on not-so-great teams, i.e. Oilers, Nashville, St. Louis, et cetera. Dallas was their third game in four nights. I want to see how we do against a well-rested playoff Contender Now, I think a lot of – if you're making the strength of schedule argument against the Canucks, a lot of that is in part because they've beat Edmonton three times. And, yeah, Edmonton's not playing well, but I don't know what's now – I don't know if it's fair now to look at those as like, oh, easy wins. Of course you beat the Oilers. They still have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out there. So you got to credit those wins. But even if you say, well, they've played a soft schedule, well – you can only beat who's in front of you. And they've racked up points at a ridiculous rate against a, st- a soft schedule, right? So, yeah, that's what good teams do. Like, to me, that's not evidence that the team isn't for real. That's what you should do. If you're a good team, a really good team, and you have a weak spot in your schedule, you should crush it. And I'm not even saying this has been a notably weak spot in the Canucks schedule, but even if you think that's the case, it's like, well, they've taken care of business. They've done they've done a really good job of of maximizing that opportunity, and that's all they can do.
1: Yeah, I'll... um. I'll 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 run some numbers during the break and I'll tell right. you about the Canucks strength of schedule. I do think they're bottom 10. My my recollection is they're roughly yeah. bottom 10. Um but I think every almost everyone in the Pacific is like I, I like I think the Yeah. my last I checked like the Kings um like had a softer schedule, the Kraken had a softer schedule, so like most of their division Yeah. Ha- is sort of in a similar boat. I don't think the Canucks have played yeah, an like, outlier soft schedule. And to me, it would be like if they were in eighth spot
0: in the West right now, right? And it's like, oh, but they've played a pretty soft schedule. It's like, okay, well, that's a little concerning because the schedule will get harder. But they're again, they've been so dominant in terms of their results and how they've racked up points that, yeah, of course, if they go through a run where they're playing like well-rested top five teams for an extended stretch, they're not going to get this type of points percentage. Of course they're not. But you play who's in front of you and if you dominate a weak schedule that that's not a mark against you for me that's
1: just that's what you're supposed to do yeah that's what good teams are supposed to do and that's what they've been able to do so far that's exactly right and also I don't think that's enough of a factor that's another thing where I promise you I would have known like I would have been talking about Mm. that if it was outlier stuff like it was at the end of last season Mm. right like I watched this stuff closely enough that I'd be banging the drum, but I'll, but I'll come back. Come back to me. Somebody we... else makes a good point. Brandon, he says another thing about the soft schedule is that they've killed many
0: of their opponents. It's like, yeah, they beat San Jose. They beat them 10-1. They didn't sneak past them. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: but also it doesn't really matter if you sneak past them. Like, But it's more concerning if you sneak past them. Nah. You don't love to see it. I mean, like the the Colorado Avalanche beat them in a
0: shootout. Yeah, but the Avalanche have, the Avalanche have earned... The credit of like we know what they can
1: do. At I'm their just best. saying I wouldn't have been yeah. concerned if the Canu- if the Canucks had gone into San Jose out out attempted them 58 to 10 like Colorado had mm. five and a half expected goals in that game right but Capukacanin stands on his head and then they beat them in the shootout it's like well you survived an embar- a potential embarrassment but it says nothing negative about your performance necessarily it's just that's hockey sometimes I really hope the Sharks lose tonight and against Philly
0: so so that they're going for their first win against Edmonton oh Thursday. me too like that. Is that oh, that's gonna be must watch we must watch hockey we need it we like we need we it. really do need it Tortorella Philly if you're listening go get that dub tonight everyone needs it <laughs> everyone needs it in the hockey world on
1: connect on Lawton <laughs> yeah, let's go let's
0: go guys <laughs> uh all right we will take a break we got lots more coming up um I, I want to run through some of the numbers and pose a question you know we're good start best start in team history all of that Could this be one of the best starts in NHL history? Is this the happiest a team has ever been at this point
1: in the season? Uh, You know what? I don't know. All I know is that tonight we're all Philadelphia Flyers. We are all Philadelphia Flyers fans. Lots more coming up. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet, 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
2: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What's going on? Welcome back to Canuck's Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kentech studio. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutas in Vancouver online at dumbbarlumber.com. I won't blow up anyone's spot, but uh, of the three people in the control room right now, somebody had an incredible jump scare. When they realized they had to hit the rejoiner music coming back, and it really made my day. I was quite delighted by it. So, uh, it's the kind of thing like when the Canucks
1: are playing well, everything's just everything's fun, everything's funny. So I did the strength of schedule thing. All right, I got I got the data from everyone's favorite sh- frenemy of the show, Dom Lecision. Uh-huh. and Canucks rank 18th, which is basically average mm-hmm. by strength of schedule so far. Here's where it gets interesting. You ready for this? Remaining strength of schedule. So, so far the Connects have played 50% of their games at home. Yeah. Even split. Their opponents have a projected point total of 91. Basically league average. Yep. Over the balance of the campaign, the Connects play 50% obviously of their games at home. Makes sense. 91 projected points. Now now here's though where it's fun, where it's really interesting. Only 5 Sorry, only six teams have an easier remaining strength of schedule than the Canucks. So they have an easy remaining strength of schedule too. The the rest of their schedule is
0: is those three Sharks games well below average.
1: Well, and and you know what? I'll be curious to see how much it's adjusted after the Sharks, who are projected, I'm sure, for like 24 points. Um, now, now, before you get too excited, here's the teams with the easiest projected schedules the rest of the way. Because there's a trend line emerging here. As I said about the West, right? Kings, easiest. Easiest in the league. 89-point pr- projected um, uh, opponent strength yeah. over the over the balance. Kraken, Oilers, Stars, Jets, Ducks. Okay. So, basically, this is teams
0: that get to play the Sharks and the Ducks, and then also the Ducks. <laughs> That's what I'm getting here. I mean,
1: yeah. There's, uh, have you faced Chicago yet? No. No. Yeah. Yeah, have have you faced? Yeah, Yeah. how much have you faced San Jose? Not that much. All right. Yeah, I wonder too how much of this like if you go look at the West right now. You'll see a lot of teams like the playoff bar in the Pacific or in the Western Conference period is projected to be in, like, the 90-point range, which is yep. wildly low. None, and it, and none it will of the, end up higher than
0: that. Well, I shouldn't say none because the Canucks were in this tier coming in, but none of the other teams in that peer group have distinguished themselves in any way. No. And some they, have fallen really
1: flat. The Canucks are the only ones that have popped, and then we've had multiple possible contenders, right? Like, because, you know, the Oilers weren't even in that group. The Oilers were a contender. Yeah. And, th- and th- you know they've popped in a different manner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their bubble has popped, but like the wild aren't out to a no nope. bangerang start. The Nashville Predator, like Winnipeg's, played well, right? Um, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas kind of are who we thought they are. I think the Kings are too. Mm-hmm. And then Vancouver's popped. Edmonton struggled massively, and then yeah. Calgary, and, Seattle, like, Cal- nothing right home. Calgary, Seattle, Nashville, Minnesota. It's just kind of like eh. Well I'd put Calgary in a lower tier. Than, sure, that's fair. that's but fair. yeah, but yes, Seattle, Nashville, Minnesota, none of them have have come out hot. Um, but I think there's another thing emerging here and and i I think about this a little bit in um, the context of the Oilers surprising struggles, right? The sharks are the sharks, obviously, they sure are <laughs> they sure are, <laughs> and that's something different entirely. I don't know that there's a lot of really bad teams in the West. And I think in years past, the last few years, you've had like the Coyotes are reliably, you know, teetering on the verge of insolvency and setting up shop mm. at a. And, and look, some of that's still the case, but at least they're still bad in that way, but they're not bad on the ice in, in the same way. There's a baseline level of talent. Yeah. Like that's that's a, a at the very least a frisky team. The Anaheim Ducks are, I think, good. I don't think they're good, but I don't think they're
0: like in contention. It to depends be how we
1: define good. It does but,
0: but I don't think they're they're not gonna be like, oh, that's a really bad team. You know what I mean? They're gonna be like mediocre probably. Eighty points over under? Uh I think that yeah, eighty. Eighty ish points. I think that's about right. Uh, I'd take the over. But I wouldn't say that's a good team. No, but you know what I mean, but, but it's, it's not, a lot better than yeah, they've it's been it's in not years a past. It's not a laugh no. of the team, you know
1: what I mean? Uh, but but I mean like Arizona St. Louis, Anaheim. If those are your bad teams, and would you confidently bet any of them to get fewer than 80 points? No. Then that's a then like the divisions all middle class. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like other than San Jose and maybe Chicago, and I even think Chicago's baseline competent. You know, like Chicago on any given shift you're you're going up against whether it's a Seth Jones or a, or a Connor Murphy, you know, when their third lines on, it's still like jason dickinson and uh, athanasiu and like real nhl players and when you watch them play there's some like structure and competence and then there's a game breaker in bedard who's going to make you pay Uh, especially with the man Mm -hmm. advantage or if you give him some space on the rush like they're going to sneak up on teams they're not they're not finishing south of 60 points you know they're i i i'd probably i won't be surprised at all if they Flirt with seven. It's actually surprising,
0: and this doesn't affect the Canucks. But just when you're looking at it, like if you think Calgary and Edmonton are going to rebound to at least respectable levels, not that Calgary is going to get back into the playoff conversation. No, but but they're going to be fine.
1: Will they flirt with ninety points? Yeah, if
0: they finish with like eighty-five points or something like that,
1: and I think they will.
0: But you look at like even in the East, the lowest points percentage in the East is four hundred. Ottawa. And Pittsburgh both have a 400 points percentage. Well, and, and
1: both those teams... are You
0: think are going to be better, right? But it's like, there's not a lot of truly... I'd be stunned I,
1: like, if either of those teams finishes south of 90. There's
0: not a lot of truly terrible teams no. in the league this year, right? Where it's like, ooh, this is going to be a really tough three-horse race to the bottom of the standings.
1: Like, San Jose has it locked up. I, I mean... But I don't even know like but, who I would take to be the second-worst team in the league right now. Uh, I think the smart money would be on Chicago, Montreal, or Columbus and yeah. i think it's probably chicago favorite of that trio right but i mean montreal's off to a good start you can't take them no nope. easily especially when the canucks are going to be facing them on the second leg of a back to back now granted they'll be all also playing the second leg of a back to back but nonetheless um but the west in particular i just think in past years whether it was the canucks or you know perpetual early season struggles mm-hmm. anaheim explicitly rebuilding um You know, a Nashville team in in disarray with no real plan. The Arizona Coyotes with, you know, frequently like not enough NHL caliber players on the ice. Right. Um, Chicago literally just like shifting stuff around as they went through their accumulate. Like there were like five patsies. Yeah. And so if you were a team like the Oilers, you could roll in, put up four points on the power play and roll out. And now I just don't think there's easy games in the in the Pacific or or in the West. Like yeah. I, I, other than those non San Jose division, other than your four times a year All Star game at the Shark Tank, I, I just think everyone can beat you. Everyone's a little, bit- maybe no one's that dangerous, but everyone's a little bit dangerous this season. Yeah, it feels there's like. there's way fewer like oh, chalk that up as a win
0: games on the schedule. I don't think there's feels any like yeah
1: like other than San Jose, other than San Jose, and even that I don't. I'm not chalking up as a win for the Oilers for the Oilers, no.
0: <laughs> somebody texted in uh if they start uh if they start pickard and net will he have faced better lineups in the ahl this season and it's like are you really gonna call your guy up because they put jack campbell on waivers and they're gonna call up the the guy from the ahl are you really gonna start your ahl goalie right when you get isn't that such a burn on Stuart skinner who i know wasn't good hasn't been good but still you're gonna need him to be good at some point it just feels like you're just gonna completely destroy
1: uh, his confidence, but uh, it's probably pretty low right now anyway, so who knows? Uh- uh, my my former athletic colleague who now works with the um, Denver Post covering the Colorado Avalanche, Corey Massisak. I, I pointed out that everyone needs to be a Flyers fan tonight, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, basically following up on our conversation, mm-hmm. right? We need Thursday's showdown to mean something, and he's pointed this out, and it like hit me like a ton of bricks. He says, if the Sharks win tonight, They'll be two points back of the Oilers going into <laughs> Thursday, which would add its own interesting wrinkle. That's a good point. So they'd be playing to tie the Oilers. Can the Sharks catch the Oilers what's, in the standings? What's more embarrassing, being the first team to lose to the Sharks, or, or losing, the losing to the Sharks and they tie you in the standings? Thirteen games in when you were picked to be a Stanley Cup I favorite think, prior to I, the season. I think being
0: the first loss is more embarrassing. I do.
1: I think that. Like, I think you're right that it's kind of a nice
0: runner-up prize for all of us if the other thing happens. But I think being the first. Well, Corey's loss. right. I,
1: I, yeah. I think being the first loss is worse. I, we need the undefeated Sharks against the can't get anything right Oilers. Yes. Like.
0: We do. Nature we, we demands truly it. We do. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, somebody texted in here. Uh, I just want to say that as a diehard, no matter what, Canucks fan, is right now the most, well, right now, it is the most fun it's been being a Canucks fan in the last decade. He also says that uh, they're winning the cup this year and he's going to get Talkit's face tattooed on his face, uh, which I'd be very curious to see. Sorry. Talkit's <laughs> face, face tattooed on his face. I don't know how that would work. Like with plastic surgery and stuff? Speaking of a Freaky Friday scenario, I don't like that. I don't know. Which, don't by the that. way, I thought last ga- last night's game, you were onto something with the Freaky Friday thing. Like, I thought it played out exactly how in in, ter- in those terms, where it's like they gave a really good effort at the beginning of the game to try to wrest control back of their spirit, yeah, and then that they, they just didn't work. No. and it's over now. Well, and then <laughs> it's
1: over for them. And then the Canucks stunt on them on the power play to dust it off. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, no, my it's weapon supposed to be us. Yeah, like my 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 best friend has turned on me.
0: Uh, and Marcus and Gibson says last night's game <laughs> was the culmination of hashtag the start for me 100% success on their early season goals. And I don't – like the thing is he's not exaggerating when he says 100% success oh, on their early I, season I, goals.
1: I, I Like I know math doesn't work this way, but it's like 100 – is there, is there a bigger number? Like 1,000% success. Like there's no world. But think about what we would have accepted as a good start and didn't, how far above it they are. Didn't we do shows talking about like –
0: because, like, can you have 14 points after 12 games? You know what I mean, or like 15
1: points after 12 games? I was like, you need 25 after 20, and you were like, oh boy, man, like, yeah, come on, they need three wins from their last eight games to get there. Yeah, like it's hard
0: to see them not doing it. And I was on. I was thinking about this this morning and last night, and I, like, I'm gonna float this out. Is this the best start in NHL history? Now, you're gonna say, well, look, they're not even top in the league right now. So, like, demonstrably Vegas and Boston have had a better start than them. And that's true from one perspective. But relative to expectations, like, because we all know Vegas is good. Boston had, yeah, I know they lost Bergeron, but they had a historic season last year. Vegas are the cup winners. You you don't expect them to win 90% of their points, but you expect them to be really good. But you go, you start looking at the list of teams the Canucks are on, and you know, you reference like the 84 Oilers with the goal differential and you're talking about teams that people knew were destined for greatness, right? Or a kind of all-time great teams. And I just think, like, when you think about in relation to expectations, and not just expectations, but the tension around the start, how much weight there was on this start. Like, Vegas didn't have any weight on their start. No one was waiting on the edge of their seat, biting their finger fingernails to see how Vegas would start this season. When you take that in consideration and you look through Everything that has gone right for them, right? Absolutely everything that has gone right for them. Just the, the performance, the wins, the outrageous statistical accomplishments from Pedersen-Hughes, Demko-Miller, Hronik. Phil Bronick's fourth in the league in assists. Fourth in the league in assists right now. Brock Besser is filling the net. Like I don't know if a team has ever had a bigger gap between expectations to start the year and concern about the start and how it's actually gone than the Canucks have. And I I, like, this is a hard thing to measure, right? Like to, to, you know, quantify what expectations were or anything like that. But honestly, I think we all just need to like, it's not just a good start. This might, we we might be witnessing one of the truly great, happy starts in NHL history, given what the Canucks are doing right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, like uh it's it's but you see what i'm saying right i know i do i do it's it's tough to measure cuz also there's like ties mm-hmm. back in the day mm-hmm. but yeah i mean to find starts you know i mean they're with the way they're outscoring teams they're in rarefied air mm-hmm. right like you you are talking about a start where you begin to discuss the 1980s oilers right where you begin to discuss you know the early '70s or 1940s Habs, the the Penguins or the Leafs in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know if you remember this, but the Leafs, after they lost on the to the the Kings, mm-hmm. like they came out and they were twelve one and three in their first sixteen games and outscored their opponent forty five to nineteen, right? And then lost in the conference final to uh you know yeah the Vancouver Canucks. But when so you- I, I mean. You're you're talking about sort of starts like that. And for the most part, the teams that have starts like this like, are, like, are like at this level tend to be really good teams. Like they tend to be, you know, the Buffalo Sabres in the in the mid aughts or the Anaheim Ducks in the mid aughts or, you know, like I remember in university, the Ottawa Senators got off to this wild start um, where like Spezza, Alfredson, Heatley. And this happened like almost every season for a little bit. Like you'd go look at the NHL standings leaders page and Spezza, Alfredson, Heatley would be like top three in the league in like almost every category. Yeah. Like one of them would be the top goal scorer. One of them would be the top assist guy. They'd be the top three guys in plus minus. Like there was a, there was a multi-year stretch when I was in university where that was just like the case. When I go peruse the NHL.com uh, stats page and, and this you know, they had a 13, one um, and no start. And I got swept in the playoffs. So, you know, it's, I don't know like I, I find it hard to think of another example where a team caught so many people off guard and had outrageous results. Like yeah. the 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 fact that they have had the best goal differential through 12 games since the 84-85 Oilers. That's an insane stat. When I saw that stat it actually stopped me dead. Yes. That's why that's what I'm
0: saying like we're not this isn't just like a good stretch of hockey. And I think the texture's right. Like when he says this is the most fun I've had being a Canucks fan in ten years. Like that's completely accurate. This is this is dreamlike. Like just like Patterson's leading the league in points. Quinn Hughes is tied for second. He's a defenseman. <laughs> JT Miller is seventh in points right now. Philip Ronick, as I mentioned, third among defensemen scoring. Fourth in the whole league in assists. Like Thatcher Demko, best goalie statistics in the league right now. By a lot. It's like This that doesn't happen on uh, on any sort of frequency where you have like five guys who are elite players in the league statistically this early in the season. No, it's unreal. (laughs) I I, like it. It's just like I as you said, like it stops you dead when you start to really
1: dig into it or if a stat that was going around. I saw Batch retweeted it. Well, it's like you what you listed all of that. And then you didn't mention that Besser is like the third guy to 10 goals. (laughs) Seriously. Like he's on—he's p- like the sixth most notable <laughs> performance of the year for the Canucks. The, the Canucks winger on pace for sixty-plus goals It's like a footnote. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's going pretty well too, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. It really is. That's probably the—that's probably the sixth most impressive individual performance we're seeing from the Canucks. That sixty-goal pace. Yeah.
0: Batch retweeted one today that was Quinn Hughes, defenseman who have this number of points and this high a plus-minus. Through this point of the season, him and Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr did it
1: once. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's what we're talking about here. I I, I will say, I will say, like I would never compare Quinn Hughes to Bobby Orr in public. (laughs) But I would like in in thinking through what I talked about yesterday, right? The like extent to which Hughes Mm -hmm. has leveled up. I was sort of talking through it with, um, you know, a contact. And I was like, you know, one of the main things I missed and tongue in cheek was I did, I, I thought Quinn Hughes was great. I didn't think he'd morph into Bobby Orr. Like that was mm-hmm. a tongue in cheek comment. But I mean so it's funny. That's is he is he the MVP? Like we've been talking about like, well, he's not. is not. Is, is
0: is Hughes gonna win the Norris. But like is he is he has he been the best player in the league to start the season? I think there's an argument for it. I don't even know really like where else you would look when you know the tra- a lot of the traditional candidates are not doing their
1: thing necessarily. I, I feel like Hughes's impact on the game is like NBA player like. You know, like right now the way he is controlling Canucks games feels like he he's got the game on a string in a way that you just don't usually see in a in a sport as variable as hockey. Yeah, it's like
0: how the game run you know, runs through Steph Curry or LeBron James, which is like, yeah, they touch it on every possession and they determine what's going to happen.
1: And it's even little things like it's that play where the Oilers have just flattened the Canucks for the first 10 minutes of the game and there's a dump in and there's two four checkers and they have a step and Quinn Hughes fakes left with his shoulders, but not with his feet. He goes right with his feet and the Oilers four checker just like it gives him an extra second. And then the other one can't quite land the hit until Hughes has sprung it uh, just high flip into the neutral, like into the mm-hmm. neutral zone and earned, you know, a change for his forwards. And it's just like this moment where ninety nine percent ninety nine point nine percent of NHL defensemen in that situation are are giving the puck away. And and there's an extra forty five seconds. Right, fresh Oilers, tired Canucks, and a two nothing lead, but Quinn Hughes, just it's, it was a small play, but it was just world class, like absolute world class, and all it did was set up a clear, and he and, and he made it look easy. And if you you don't even know the play I'm talking about, I wouldn't blame you. But it was just stunning, like a stunning piece of hockey, and it's just like there's almost every shift he has. There's something like that, that cr- that helps create an environment where the Canucks are more likely to outscore their opponent than be scored against themselves. And, you know, we saw this last year, right? The, with Hughes on the ice, they're the golden Knights with Hughes off the ice, they're the Anaheim ducks thing that I kept bringing up. You know, it's, it's like now with Hughes improving as an attacking player and, and sort of marrying that with a team that's not the Anaheim ducks when he sits anymore. Right. Uh, But, but also like, the results—it's like now with Quinn Hughes on the ice, they're outscoring opponents eighteen to three. They're the seventy-eight Habs. It's like, what? What's going on? Yeah, this guy's unbelievable. Uh, this guy's this guy's unbelievable, Jamie.
0: It's uh, it's that's why you know, like, look, we're here to have the okay, what does this mean going forward? Conversation. We're that's that's a part of the show. That's a part of being a fan. But I also do want to just stress, like, we all got to enjoy this. This is special from Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson and other yeah, guys yeah, from the team. But but like, well, we've. Ne- this is this is like you're gonna look back in 20
1: years and be like, man, remember when Quinn Hughes was playing like that type of stuff? Right now, the line this the following sentence has never been said credibly about a Vancouver Canucks player: the Canucks have the best defenseman in hockey. Mm. Right, like this is the first time in history mm-hmm. where you can say that sentence, and whether or not people agree, right? Because y- people might say, no, it's Kale McCarr. You at least can make the argument mm-hmm. credibly. Okay, well, yeah, McCarr, you know, he's done it in the past, but he's not been at Hughes's level this season, mm-hmm. right? That's your that's your comeback, and you're right. And if I was to
0: go like full on rose colored glasses, and you were just to do the like, okay, the thought experiment of switch places, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes right now, and who gets better? And if you wanted to say, I don't know if it, who I would make the argument the the Avs would get better, but I'm not sure the Canucks would get better because Kale McCarr's never had to carry the mail. Like Quinn Hughes has. Because he's always played in a better environment. You know what I mean? And now the Canucks environment is better now, and Quinn Hughes is leveling up. But, like, Quinn Hughes has done the job in some tough, tough situations.
1: I see your argument. I can't really hear it. Uh, I think, at the end of the day... Look, Kel McCarr's amazing. I have to... The moment Quinn Hughes... Gives me the excuse to make the argument credibly, I will take it. But while Makar has both the Calder from his rookie year with mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes mm-hmm. and a Stanley Cup and a Norris. yeah, I gotta I gotta like
0: He was Conn Smythe too, wasn't he? Didn't he take on the Con Smythe? You'd, you'd have to check yeah. it. I, I
1: don't remember. Uh but the But while he's got the hardware, right? Out of deference. I don't think you can really. He did. He won the concept. So (laughs) So that's a pretty. He's got a Hall of Fame resume. Yeah. Like Hughes needs to close that gap. But I'll tell you this. I think he's uh, at the caliber as a player that he can do it. Yep. Like, but I think he can close that gap. I think he can make it an argument, but it's not one yet. Uh, we will take a break
0: here. Randeep Janda, color commentator for the Canucks broadcast on Sportsnet 650, will join us. Uh, we'll run through the good times, which are rolling in a big way for the Canucks, and look ahead to their upcoming Eastern Canadian road trip. We'll continue taking your texts as well, 650-650, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canucks stock coming up here on Sportsnet 650.
1: Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your
2: podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas trance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C dot We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650-650. Is the Dunbar Lumber text line now joining us on the phone? He is the color commentator for Canucks broadcast here on Sportsnet 650. He's our guy,
2: Randy Janda. What's going on, man? Gentlemen, how's it going? It's a, it's a sunny day in Vancouver. Uh, people are smiling. The Canucks are winning. It's Vancouver's allowed to be happy again. <laughs> this is a weird vibe, man. It's a
0: nice feeling. We sent all the bad vibes to Alberta. And that's great in yeah. and of itself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, we were talking off the top of the show. A lot happened in last night's game. Great, like, in many ways, a great performance by the Canucks. It was definitely a hilarious game. What was the funniest thing that happened in that game from your in your eyes, Randeep?
2: Okay, I, I think it had to be the Woodcroft, like, you know, yeah. him, him being sent off and getting the misconduct because there was a moment in that game where we are saying, it can't get any worse for the Oilers, can it? Can it? Uh, Yes, it can. Apparently the coach is being sent off for apparently not saying anything bad, according to Jay Woodcroft. But uh, overall, I I just that was a game where and Batch and I were talking about this in the break uh, in that first period where all it's going to take is that one goal. And you could you could sense that the knees would start buckling for the Edmonton Mm. Oilers. And that's exactly what happened. Right. And and why do we know these things as Vancouverites? Because we've seen it before. We saw it the last two years. You could see a team. Maybe get a goal, maybe bring their best effort, but that one moment, guys, of you know testing your resiliency—that one moment of pressure, that one moment of doubt—and it sinks you. So it was—I'm with you. It was a hilarious game because there were temper tantrums on the ice, there were phantom penalties, there was a goal that would have been a goal anyways, but Warren Fogle kicks it, and it's probably not a goal for that reason. Like that was hilarious too, man. It's going in the net. What are you doing? Yes. Um, So there's a lot. That was like a that was a stand-up comedy show at certain points of that game.
0: Um. Are you as uh, as hopeful as we are that Philly beats the Sharks tonight, so we can set up the winless Sharks against the spiraling Oilers on uh, on Thursday? Yes, please. The game, the yes, game please. that everyone needs <laughs> needs to see. Um, Thatcher Demko was phenomenal in that one, and I mean, just uh, you know, another Canucks star player who's playing at the absolute peak of their powers right now. Canucks are about to head out on the road. Would you like to see them lean on Demko a little bit, let him have that run of games while he's feeling it? Or is it time to start, you know, with the, with the lead they've built up in the standings, the cushion they've built up in the standings, be really mindful and proactive about getting to Smith some starts too?
2: As much as I love what Thatcher Demko is doing right now, this is a long game. This is about making sure that your number one guy is set for, you know, this 82-game grind. So I'd like to see a little bit more Casey DeSmith. Maybe it's that Ottawa game. Uh, obviously, Toronto is going to be a big one. Maybe it's the Montreal game, uh, the revenge game for Casey Desmith, even though he never played in Montreal. Uh, could be a great narrative. But I'd like to see uh, a little bit more Casey Desmith. And listen, Rick Talken has mentioned that he'd like to get him more time too. But Demko is Demko. But you know, this is uh, a unique part here in this three-game road trip where Toronto is the the one that everybody's got circled, and this team is not looking at you know taking any games lightly, but if you want Thatcher Demko in any game, it's that one. Uh, So I'd like to see Casey DeSmith play one. You lean on Demko because he's your guy, but at the same time, you know, the last couple of years, boys, we've been talking about getting Thatcher Demko some rest, getting him in that maybe 58 to 62 games. I remember Ian Clark a couple of years ago saying that's that sweet spot. If you can make that happen now uh, because you've got a bit of a cushion and you've got confidence in Casey DeSmith, uh, I wouldn't mind a little bit more, um, a little bit more dismith as things go on. Because listen, Thatcher Demko is an elite goaltender, but your your game is the long game here. You're looking at okay, how do you make this a successful season and try to not overwork the goaltender here in the short term.
1: Randeep, there have been so many great performances. horonic third and assists. <clears throat> Besser, 10 goals already. Uh, J.T. Miller playing matchup hockey, seventh in the NHL in points. Pedersen, points leader. Quinn Hughes tied for second, first among defensemen. Demko, out of this world. Who's your Canucks MVP through 12 games?
2: All right, it's Quinn Hughes to me, and I, and I don't even have to think about that for a half a second. Uh, Elias Pettersson, what he's done is unbelievable. Um, I think there's a ceiling there that we haven't even seen yet because clearly something was bothering him on this last week. Uh, but Quinn Hughes, the way he's been able to control the tempo of the game, guys, the way he can slow down a frantic moment, And maybe it's us Vancouverites, you know, not having experienced this, but really a lot of people across the NHL haven't experienced this. Quinn Hughes and the ability to just make that extra one or two seconds uh, in his own zone, guys. Yesterday, there were probably two or three plays where it's a very subtle move, but he just buys himself time. You know, that's one of the things, kind of the nuances of the game, but you know, plus 16 leading the NHL in plus minus, this is a couple years removed for him being one of the worst. And he took it personally. Um, You know, you talk about Quinn Hughes and his effort and his, his intention of being a shooter. He's leading all defensemen in shots. Remember he talked about Roman Yossi and wanting to play like that. He's got more shots than Roman Yossi right now. So it's, uh, you know, it's the production. It's the ability to play pretty good defense as well. That narrative of him not being a good defender and all that, that's bunk. Um, So to me, right now, it's a tight race, don't get me wrong, but right now, with a bullet, it's Quinn Hughes, man. This guy is special, and he's showing it every single night, five-point nights, four-point nights. Uh, We're getting spoiled right now with the elite status that Quinn Hughes is bringing. We're
0: only 12 games in, right? Some teams have played less, but we were just talking about in the last segment, I mean, I, I think he's the team MVP, I think you could make an argument he's the league MVP right now. When you, you know I know Jack Hughes had the hot start, but he's been out of the lineup. We know about McDavid and Dreisaitl. Matthews has been good. But like, I, I think he would be a credible candidate for the Hart Trophy if, if we were voting on it today, Randy.
2: Yeah, I think you could probably have uh, two Canucks in that final three, yeah. depending <laughs> nope. on, on the way you look at it. But this is, you know, for a lot of people I, I think across the country, this is going to be a surprising moment to say, wow, like look at what Quinn Hughes is doing. I think we all acknowledge that he was special heading into the season, but he's really leveled up here to say, "Yeah, I am that level of a player." And you know that conversation of McCarr, Hughes, and picking McCarr, yeah, I'm. You could still pick Kill McCarr. I heard you guys talking a little bit earlier in his, you know, his trophy credentials and all of that. But like, it's a conversation now. Maybe a, a year or two ago, people were saying, "Okay, yeah, it's Kill McCarr," but now it's now you it's a a real choice, and that speaks to Quinn Hughes and the level of his game, where guys, we can talk about you know the offensive skill and even in his draft year marveling at his skating. But the way that he is able to defend smartly with his speed, right? Where he's able to get back in the play and in transition, that's great defending where he's able to to, you know, separate the man from the puck, and it's not physical. It's just smart hockey. Mm. And what's, you know what's another great way of defending? Keeping the puck. And him and Philip Roenick have been able to do that uh, at a, an elite level this season. So you look at that goals 4-5 five on 5, and the fact that he's well into the double digits of being in the positive goal differential, uh, yeah, his impact offensively and defensively is up there with, uh, I think, all of those guys. His brother, um, you know, yeah. when you talk about New Jersey, and obviously being injured is not going to help. Uh, jack's case early early on in the season but when you start comparing with the austin matthews of the world sure quinn has a lot of help with Elias Pettersson and jt miller but you know watching these games covering each of these games like you guys do you see the impact he has and uh he's not being helped in the defensive zone when he's making those moves for those zone exits or or zone entries or going end to end this guy's uh this guy's a machine and i'm glad the rest of the nhl is going to be able to see that this week when they head to the center of the universe you know
0: they didn't just beat the Oilers yesterday, right? They really caused them to unravel towards the end of that game and lose their composure in a big way. And then they, you know, they finish it off with the power play goal from Brock Besser. What did you make of the the killer instinct that the and the kind of the mean streak just psychologically towards the Oilers that the Canucks demonstrated last night?
2: Okay, so. Yeah, I know there's two schools of thought on this, but if the Edmonton Oilers want to take it to the alley and they want to start playing that sort of game, and you can see on a couple of shifts, right? Like Darnell Nurse on the forecheck is not something you see normally, unless he's trying to hit somebody and he's trying to really, you know, in a 5-2 game, be really aggressive and try try to lay people out. Well, if you're going to play that game, if you're going to play undisciplined, and if you're going to, you know, go out of your way to show off your anger, then I got no problem with being ruthless. It, you Sure. If you want to, you know, if you, if it's a hooking penalty and maybe you put the power play, the C unit on, but if you're going to go out of your way and potentially try to injure guys or play really on that line and, and you're having a temper tantrum, I got no issues with the Canucks saying, all right, if right, you're going to do that. If you're going to go after our star players, if you're going to be in a position where you're being kind of reckless well, we're going to make you pay. And that tic-tac-toe goal just ended off with Brock Vesser. Uh, even after that goal was scored, Cody Ceci flips up Brock Vesser's stick as a, a little extra jab, and, you know, there's a big smile on Brock's face. Hey, if you want to be stupid, guys, that's fine. There's punishments for that, too. So I think that speaks to the Oilers and their sense of frustration. But I, from Rick Tockett, I, I loved it because that's, you know, you can react in that situation, and sure, you can take the high road, but if teams are going to subject themselves to playing that type of style and, and being a high-risk team like the Oilers were being in many fronts last night, uh, I got no problem with the team saying, all right, if that's what you're going to do, we can play this game too. You know, one of the other big conversations,
0: not just here in Vancouver now, but kind of across the league with the Canucks right now, Randeep, as of today is, okay, After this great start. What is it going to look like in 20 games and 30 games? How sustainable is this? And, you know, my perspective on it is, yeah, of course they're going to slow down. They're not going to be one of the best regular season teams of all time, probably, but they have room to slow down and still be really good. Have you seen enough from this team to kind of significantly increase your expectations for, for what we're going to see for the rest of the season from them?
2: Well, prior to the season beginning, I think like a lot of people, you were saying, "Okay, this is a, a potential, you know, wild card team. They're going to be in that conversation with the Seattle Kraken, uh, with the Calgary Flames." Well, early on this season, we've seen uh, those teams, especially Calgary, is a mess, and you can add the Oilers to that conversation, even though uh, we we thought and a lot of folks thought that they'd be a cup contender, let alone um, a playoff team. But in terms of the Canucks and one of the areas that I'm really impressed with, and I think there is some sustainability, you know, maybe they're not going to sustain this. Uh, nine, two and one is a heck of a start to the season, but guys, that goal differential off the rush is, uh, I know Mike Kelly came out with that, that graphic today where the Canucks are, you know, picking teams apart. And last night, especially where you could see on that, whether it was the, uh, the Neil Hoaglander goal where Evan Bouchard is, is speaking a higher risk, taking a, making a play there, which, you know, is kind of stuff that we saw last year when the Canucks were playing. Those are moments where inopportune pinches and you're saying, what are you doing there? Um, You know, the, the goal before as well, where Pew Suter scores coming down the middle uh, Dakota Joshua, good to him coming down with speed on the right-hand side. But also you could see that goal like coming just based on the way that the Oilers were inching and, and not communicating in transition. Uh, It's stuff like that, that cutthroat aspect that I'm saying, okay, these guys, they know what to do in certain circumstances, right? And they know what to do um, when a team is pushing hard and they're making those mistakes. This is a team that is communicating now. And I, talked, uh, I asked that question a, a couple of days ago in, uh, after the game day skate, actually, yesterday, to Rick talking about, is this team talking more? And his response was, yeah, they're talking more on the ice because they know what to do. They know where to go. They know, you know the system now, whereas last year, they weren't talking. They were a silent group because... They were downloading all this information. They were struggling at certain stretches. So, you know, that sustainability question, guys, uh, they know how to play the system. They know how to to react within that second. They're not thinking anymore. Um, There are going to be peaks and valleys in the season. They're going to have a losing streak. There is probably going to be star players having droughts, but there's certain elements in the way that they play the game that you're saying, wait a second, they know what to do. This is not a take a half a second to think about it. This is a team that understands, you know, their role, their identity, and that's why I think, you know, overall, that playoff team aspect and, and just having more confidence in them, yeah, they've shown something that I don't think a lot of people are expecting to see this season.
0: Randeep, appreciate the time, man. Uh, it's uh, It's been a blast watching this team so far. Let's hope it continues for a little while more.
2: Awesome. Cheers, boys. Have that a great one.
0: Randeep Janda, color commentator for the Canucks broadcast here on Sportsnet 650. I
1: love how quickly he picked Hughes.
0: It, look, Demko has especially the last couple of games. Demko has been out of control. Good, out of and, control, and like those are the games where it's really mattered because he's kept it, kept them in it early, made the big save on Wyatt Johnson, and then obviously held the fort against the Oilers last night.
1: But Hughes <laughs> from day one of the season has just been on another level. I also had to laugh because he's right about the Patterson commentary, where it's like, well, there's a sense that the NHL's yes. leading scorer has another level to get through, get to, because he's right. That's 100% accurate. <laughs> like, there' no quibbles, no notes, but it's just silly to think about. Like, this is the Canucks' start. Petterson's leading the league in scoring, and there's this, like, widespread, fully fair sense that, like, yeah, but he's been playing hurt, and there's another level. He's been playing hurt is just an incredible thing to say about the NHL's leading score. Where are we? Like, yeah. what are what are we
0: doing? It's here? dreamland, man. It's like the perfect. I said this on the show yesterday. We're through like, the looking glass. It's the exact inverse of the last couple of seasons. Man. You know what I mean? Like, no, we are truly in an alternate universe. Apparently, the Canucks can only have extreme seasons. Like, either right. absolutely everything is going wrong, and it's just a total nightmare, but no one predicted.
1: We never get a normal year. No,
0: we're never going to get a normal year.
1: You know, but at least it's weird this way. I can, I can go with that for a change. That's nice. I was sort of looking through some receipts of just private correspondence, and I drafted a column. Do you mean DMs when you say private correspondence?
0: Well, like my Slack messages. Okay. Okay. It's like private correspondence. No,
1: like before the Canucks preview, I was sliding into her private correspondence last night. <laughs> Is that untoward? Continue, continue. Is that should I not have private correspondence? Oh, I've just never heard it called that way. Huh? For that's like you're like a Civil War general, like writing letters in your in your tent. Don't forget private activations. Right. <laughs> Dearest Agnes, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I was reviewing my private correspondence ahead of you. Go to your big war chest and take out your stack of letters with a string around it ahead of the march on Annapolis. (laughs) (laughs) Half my troop has dysentery and have died. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what you were doing. Anyways,
0: I don't want to completely derail you from the point you were going to make. So go, go, go on your private correspondence.
1: Now I want to do it in the style of a Ken Burns oh, documentary. Oh, boy, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I was looking through it, and before the athletic crew, led by Dom Lecision, yes, sent me, but uh, published the Canucks preview, they sent me the data and the charts and, you know, get my reaction to it. And I sort of penned a response to them that was kind of like a half column that I intended to build into a full column and that I wish I had, mm. which was just that, the range of outcomes for the Canucks felt extraordinarily wide. Was that usual? Like, was the model uh, – did the model give as many teams as significant a chance to crash and burn and to be to like a 110-point yeah. team as the Canucks? And, and really, there was only one other team, Detroit, who's also sort of off to a interesting yep. start in a lot of ways. And, you know, it struck me that there was a volatility – To the Canucks profile, right? When you're reliant on goaltending, and this team's not as reliant on goaltending as they have been in past years, but we're still seeing Demko be a huge part Mm -hmm. of them building up, you know, an, an 84, 85 Oilers type start to the season. When you have this caliber of finisher, right? And when you've changed or rearranged as many of the deck chairs in terms of your depth pieces, like... There's a chance it clicks into place, and there's a chance it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a world where Cole and Susie and Friedman, right, aren't perfect fits. I mean, there's four new defensemen. Like, of these Canucks defenders, four of them are new. One of whom was picked up after the season started. Right. They'd already played a few games. And has, like,
0: seamlessly slid in. And is
1: playing on the second pair. He's been awesome. Yeah. He's been really good. And he's stabilized things. I mean, think about Hirose and Juleson. Like Julson in that Philadelphia game, which was the last one that he dressed for, right where he screens the goalie on the opener and um you know, Julson and Hirose like really struggling against the Oilers in that second game, right I mean, you yep. can make the argument that Vancouver's third pair kind of kept the Oilers in that game to some extent mm. you know I, I you know I'm not trying to be unfair. Or critical, But I think you can easily, like, if you remember that game and remember the penalties taken and remember the turnovers, you know, Friedman's emergence has been huge for this team in terms of just like, oh, yeah, there's no bleeding. Yeah, there's there's been no bleeding with him on the ice, which is the nicest thing you can say about a, you know, defensive minded defender. um, And then you think about the bottom six, right? Like J- Josh was here was here last year. Bovillier was for a bit. Rick Tockett never coached Hoaglander until the first game of the season, so he's mm-hmm. kind of a new ad. Stunika had to have a riotously good training camp to even make the team. Suter. Suter's new. Lafferty. Lafferty was added at you know right before the season, after training camp. Mm-hmm. Like, th- There's a lot of newness in terms of the supporting pieces. And I remember sort of looking at it and just thinking, I can see a world where this works. I can see a world where it doesn't. My baseline expectations in the middle, and I feel like the baseline outcome is the least likely. And I really wish I'd written that. Mm. But so it goes. Because there's Regrets. just so much. Yeah. I mean it's Well, it uh... was just the main thing that struck me from their preview, which I thought was pretty positive. Like I think for all the uh for all the fair arrows he's taken for underrating Quinn Hughes, not trusting his own model, by the way. Um his preview of the Canucks was like way positive super positive um but yeah the volatility of this team was what really struck me when i when i read it laid out like that and i think we've just seen this team in the thin part of the bell curve and i think a lot of it does on the far right side does have yes
0: the far right uh i think a lot of it does have to do where reinforcements are coming with... slowly from Annapolis <laughs> yeah the right flank of the bell bell curve. (laughs) (laughs) Ducks are holding down the right flank of the bell curve. Um, But so you mentioned goaltending. And if you're you're ever going to build like an outlier case for a team, it starts with a hot goalie, right? Like if you're going to have a historic or a, wow, I can't believe they did that. It starts with a, it always starts with a goalie. And then you think about, and and maybe what I should have factored in more was just not just the possibility of, Quinn Hughes leveling up or Elias Patterson leading the league in scoring, but that if Hughes Patterson and Miller were all playing like this and Demko's playing like this, like if that all clicked at the same time, there's going to be a lot of games as long as these caliber of performances continue or something close to it where the Canucks have like the four best players on the ice in a game, right? Or at worst three of the four best players on the ice in a game or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be a, like, like
1: like Ottawa, right? They're going to have the four best players. On the ice in Ottawa. Yeah, that's pretty common for Ottawa. Sure. No, but like <laughs> I'm, Stutzla, just, kidding. Come I'm on. just kidding. You know
0: I just love to yeah. fade Ottawa. Like but like that's and that's not gonna be an uncommon thing. And I think when you have that baseline at the top of well, your of your of your lineup, like it's the
1: outlier things start to become possible with the, with those sure. types of players. You 100%. know what I mean? No, uh, I'm, and well and, and you're right. You're right. And so and so effectively it's a spring day, right? Much like it was when Commander Dodd found the perfect spring water that we could mix with wild mint growing in aromatic profusion. Uh, By the way, uh, Dylan says uh, breaking news: Oilers Oilers call a players only private correspondence after brutal loss to the Canucks. Uh, Pro- provided that J- Jamie's bringing the the mint julep, the tonic, and oh man. and love a mint julep, aromatic mint and. Oh. Kentucky Love. bourbon distilled by a master hand. Love. Commander Jamie brings the brings the cocktails. That's what I'm telling Agnes in my private correspondence. Love a mint julep. Um, somebody else texted in that they want
0: uh, they want Hughes to get the Norris and the heart and accept it wearing a suit with 3B on the lapel or the tie. Just lean into the bit. Maybe change the number to 38, <laughs> like 3B. Yeah, Mr. 3B. Uh, and somebody else says, uh, can we have a new segment called Dear Agnes, please? I don't know about that. <laughs> I <laughs> don't know about that. Or oh, trance describes the Canucks season in Civil War general
1: terms. I'm okay with that. I could probably that would that'd be fun. Uh, all right, we'll take a break. We'll, we'll give you know what, Let's we'll give let's give it a shot on the other side. You you go for it. I
0: will. You go for it. I got it. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll do that, I guess, and uh, we'll look <laughs> ahead. We won't <laughs> do that, no. Right. <laughs> okay, good. We'll look ahead <laughs> to the Canucks road trip as well. Continue taking your text. It is Canucks talk. Sportsnet six fifty.
1: Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Final segment of the show as uh, we continue to delight, marvel at, wonder at the Canucks good stuff Laugh about Del- the season. Laugh about, really. I don't know. Uh, we are live from the Kintex studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar over text line. Well, that's the
1: joy of this road trip, right? It's just like, so the auto senators are in disarray. Mm. Their blue line is straight-up slapdash Mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, They don't really have a general manager. Steve Steos has kind of assumed all duties in the interim because of a myriad of investigations and punishments. Um, Their owner is feuding with
0: the NHL, despite being an owner for, like, two months total. And despite
1: despite having been widely viewed as, like, the safe selection for the (laughs) NHL. Yeah. Yeah. you know, you're going to see a third pair against the Senators of Travis Hammonick and a guy named Tyler Clevin. Sure. I don't know. Things to look forward to. mm mm-hmm. uh, Jacob Bernard-Docker. All of the uh, waiver excitement. <laughs> this market finally gets paid off. We get to see him. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, it was bad. Mark Friedman. Way, way, way better an outcome. It's worked out much better. Way better. In much outcome. better than Jacob Bernard-Docker or some of the other guys. The... Jacob Bernard Docker Man, those that was a week.
0: <laughs> it's a legitimate week like every every day at 11. It's like I'm going to google some guys to I, see if
1: they're right-handed here. I, I used to like laugh about like trade seagulls around yeah. the deadline right? Yeah. like trade trade trade. But it was like so sad when every mag guy hit waivers and people were like ah, ah JBB. Mhm. Anyway, JVD. <laughs> Yeah, he's Tiger Beat. He's the cover of (laughs) Tiger Beat, JBB. Um, So the Senators are in disarray. I don't know if you saw much of the Leafs game last night. The Leafs were almost in super disarray after last night. They avoided it. They narrowly avoided it, but, woo, that was a close one. That is a one-line team, man. And Matthew Nye is one of my guys, is awesome. Mm. And with Matthews, it's really awesome. Because Matthew's is height of his power stuff right now. Like, he's killing it. But, man, that supporting cast is brutal. The blue line, man. And, like... I have no idea why they proportioned so much money into a pair of one-dimensional... Like, who looked at the Leafs the last few years and thought, you know what? This team needs more one-dimensional scoring forwards. mm. And another older defenseman... Who's not good defensively. And who's not, like, fast in terms of transitioning the puck. It's, like, all this team needed was speed on the back end and, like, a little bit of competitive fire up front. Like, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how they've gone about supplementing this group. It's – uh anyway, they're way more more vulnerable than they have been in years past. Like, way more vulnerable. They are not playing great hockey as a team, in my opinion. And there's a lot of holes in the lineup. And you know how often I praise the Leafs. Like, yep. I think this is a get- very gettable Leafs team for the Canucks. And then you've got the Habs who are – you know, trading off that early season, um, Martin St. Louis pixie, pixie dust, which has been super fun. That's like a positive team. They they look like they have fun playing. They play fun hockey. But yeah, honestly, there's. I feel like that's the scariest game for the Canucks on this. The track. one in Montreal. Yeah, I know that's. I know that seems odd. Well, a bit of a letdown game because you'll get hyped. I mean, you look, you're hyped
0: to play in Montreal, too, but it's the day after the Saturday night game in Toronto, yeah, right? The, Which is always going to be a big one on the calendar.
1: It's a tough turnaround. Like, it's a tough turnaround back-to-back. Like, the Canucks will be the more rested team, even though they're in the middle of a three-on-four in that game in Toronto. Mm. You know? Like, and I just don't rate the Leafs that highly this year. So, and this team always gets up to play the Leafs. Yes, that's true. They play them well, even though they got trounced the last time they were in Toronto at roughly this time of year. Uh, I think that was a close game, but it was like one of those close games that they actually had no chance in. I don't know if you remember. They, it. I do. Well, I'm remembering because the
0: Leafs came here and like lost. ran circles
1: around them, but lost. Right? Like that it was lo- Dem- that was later in
0: the year. Yeah, but like Demko made like 50 saves yeah, or yeah. something like that, or or Spencer Martin was it at yeah. that point? I can't. But there was you. it was like outrageous. They got outshot by an outrageous amount, but yes. won. And yeah, maybe there was the inverse in, uh there was the inverse in in Toronto. In,
1: well, where where it was like a close Leafs win, but the Leafs had the puck the entire game. And mm. It was just mm-hmm. hopeless. Um, so anyway, I. For Canucks fans enjoying this team riding high, like I feel like these are relatively winnable games, tired opponents in all three legs, and Canucks fans can revel, uh, you know, amidst the struggles of various other Canadian teams. Like, look, maybe sets this sets up is, very well. Maybe this is the trip where their luck regresses a little bit, and it's disappointing or not as fun as as it feels like it might be. But I feel like this is shaping up to be. A very enjoyable week for Canucks fans. I think get that win in,
0: in Ottawa, Ottawa. Yeah,
1: Get the win in Ottawa,
0: and then, like, Saturday will be entertaining or should be entertaining no yeah. matter what happens. You know what I mean? Like, it has a big game feel. You'll be going in on this awesome winning streak. And then, yeah, the game in Sunday against, uh, against Montreal, like second half of back-to-back, all that. But there's every reason to be really excited about uh, about this road the trip. The only problem is the 4 p.m. starts, right? Mm. Like that's
1: Yes. I have,
0: no one wants to watch hockey that early um i this text comes out i can't tell if it's tongue-in-cheek or not i suspect it is but he says the only reason they lead the league in scoring is the 30 goals they scored on the sad sack oilers and the sharks it's like yes the only reason they lead the league in scoring is because they put up 30 goals in four games you're right that is the reason they lead the league in scoring my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna assume that was tongue in cheek.
1: No, it's funny though. I mean, it is hilarious. They scored 30 goals in those four games. Well, and this is sort of where you do, like, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to figure out how to best discuss what regression looks and feels like. Because I don't want to pretend that the Canucks are like do a run of bad bounces. This is, that's gambler's fallacy stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the fact that they've had good fortune to this point doesn't mean their luck's going to be bad as the sample expands. It just means they're not going. to... To they're not likely to be as lucky yeah, as as they play the next 70 games remaining of their season. So, you know, one way to think about it, I think, and and just let me know if this is a helpful way of explaining it. I, I don't know if it is, but it's like the Dallas game, right? Maybe the next time you play that game, the Quinton Johnston outrageous save is a goal, mm. and you're down one nothing instead of up, or instead of it being tied, and that morphs the game a little bit. Or, maybe having taken the 2-0 lead the the second period stone job that demko pulled off maybe that's a goal and so it's 2-1 going into the third and it's a little bit more nervous mm-hmm. right you're maybe a little bit more subject or maybe it's last night like maybe it's the oilers are actually up two nothing yep and the goalie doesn't let pew suitor beat him nine hole you know and then it's 2-1 going into the second and you see where you like the point is is the Canucks' results are so elite that they have some space to regress without necessarily being, like, quote-unquote, bad, right? But as you get a smaller share of the bounces, right, as fewer pucks fall in your favor, the margins get tighter, right? And when the margins get tighter, the margin for error increases. And so some of these games that right now they're winning 5-2 – Like It's really easy to see how a bounce or two one way or the other and you're losing it 4-3 or you're losing it uh, or you're going into overtime or you're, you know, and then you're in a coin flip scenario. So, I mean, that's sort of how this is going to manifest itself. Uh, And and I think one other way of thinking about it is Canucks are currently shooting 15.5% all situations, which has actually fallen despite their excellent performances over the last couple of games. They were at like 16.5%. When we talked last Friday, like at the end of our week last week. So they've actually fallen with the wins against Dallas and and Edmonton, almost a full percentage point. Um, The top finishing teams in hockey, like number one in finishing percentage or shooting percentage over the course of the year, likely to be at about 12%. Right? So they're exceeding that by about 25%. Right? So, I mean... What does that mean? It means that you know, for now, anyway, the Canucks have scored thirty-two goals on, um, what? Sorry, no, I'm looking at the wrong thing. The Canucks they have scored fifty-four goals, goals on three hundred fifty shots. Yeah, right. And you know, if you have something more like a twelve percent shooting clip, which, by the way, would be number one in would the be NHL, really good still. Yeah, that would. You know, it's forty-two goals over your next three hundred fifty shots. Yeah. And so that gets into,
0: okay, it really comes down to then distribution of goals because they've they've got wins with a whole bunch of extra room on them, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you shouldn't expect to be consistently putting up 10 goals, 6 goals on teams like they've done this year. And then the question becomes can you consistently win close games, right? Or can you start winning games 4-2 instead of 6-2, right? Or, you know, 5-2 against the Sharks instead of 10-1, right? And is is that, like, can you regress in the shooting percentage, but because there's been so many blowouts, you're still winning more than your share of games? And I think, you know, part of that is luck, right? Just how your goals are distributed throughout a season. Uh, part of that is I think it's going to be interesting to see them in more consistently close games and games where they have to chase a little bit, right? Like, I think that's going to be a test uh, For yeah. of his team But again It's not as if Like It's not as if You dial the shooting Percentage down And it's like Oh they would have Lost seven games By now You know what I mean Like they, You could dial it down And they'd still have A very positive Goal differential
1: Yeah I mean No team in hockey Has spent more time Leading This season Than the Canucks have Right mm. uh, Only four teams Have spent Less time trailing Right So the Canucks Have really Been able to rely On The, the Closing games With the comfort of a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what's sort of interesting is it's with a lead where the the bounces in particular are in their favor, right? Like, when the Canucks have a lead, their goalies are brick walls, mm. and they're often getting the goal to extend it. Yep. You know, and, and, and so, again, it, it, you know, distribution is a good way of thinking about it, like Poisson bursts and random distribution, especially because 12 games is only... uh uh, you know 15 percent of a season right there's all season is so long man 82 games is so long and this stuff will ebb and flow and we're gonna know so much more about this team 18 games from now than we do today but it's impossible to not like the way they're trending and and not because of the bounces but because of the good hockey being played because of the discipline with which they're going to the net the, the speed that they've got on all four lines you know the one-shot finishing, the goaltending ability, the 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 power play. You know what? Besser screens. Can we talk about Besser yeah, screens I mean, for a second? We can
0: because it's been very noticeable. And man, that when that goal, the the shot hit him right on the goal he scored in the first period. He knocks it down, just immediately turns and bats it into the net. And it's just like that guy's playing really well right now. He is doing his job
1: in a big way. I, so I, I'm 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 going to ask him about this. I'm gonna I'm gonna find him and and ask him about him uh ask him about this on the road trip sorry brock but (laughs) i want to ask him because so besser played for the national champion north dakota fighting hawks Mm -hmm. right when they had like drake Cagula and nick schmaltz and troy stetcher that was like pp1 up top was those three guys and besser was the bumper guy on that unit right and then he comes to Vancouver and breaks into the league. And as the flow in those first couple of seasons, mm-hmm. he was like a high volume shooter on his off side on the power play. Right. And then Hughes's first season, the Canucks acquire Miller. Right. And and they open the year with Horvat at the bumper somewhere where he'd stay for the next five years and Miller at the net front. And early in the season, the wrinkle that that team rolls out is that they have Besser and Pedersen switching sides depending on what they're running. So Newell Brown has Besser and Petterson functioning both on their downhills and occasionally on their one-timer sides. And the club goes nuclear on the power play in the early going. Now Besser gets hurt. The club acquires Tyler Toffoli. Toffoli becomes the net front guy. Yeah. And Besser's sort of relegated to power play too. The next year, Besser is the net front guy for for a couple seasons. And he actually has great results. Like, Great results to the point that when the club first started playing last season, Andre Kuzmenko's rookie year, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I made these arguments on the show. I was like, sure. Besser's so good at the net front that I don't know that you should supplant him with Kuzmenko. Now, Kuzmenko, it turns out, Kuzmenko was awesome at it, as it turned out. K- Kuzmenko, it turns out, is a savant for getting his stick free in the blue paint yep. and for just like lurking backdoor, right? Like, he, he, he's incredible at it. Besser was once again relegated to power play too, but over the course of that journey that I've just described at exhausting length, Besser has effectively played every spot but defense on the Canucks' power play, yep. or, or whether it's on Both the Canucks' flags, power play or net front. Yep. And now the Canucks have this movement power play where he's sort of asked to go do it, and like there's no one on the ice who has more experience in every spot you could possibly occupy than him. And it's like perfect. It's this like it's like this perfect moment where all these frustrations of trying to fit Besser into various spots on the power play and you know him being supplanted so he has to move elsewhere. It's like what's been a negative for his individual scoring ability to this point, all of a sudden in the with the way that the Canucks are playing, is like perfectly catered to the to to his skill set, to the experiences that he's had scrapping to carve out, like, a high-usage role on this team as his career is kind of, you know, uh, not progressed with the sort of linear uh, path yeah. that we might have hoped for when he was a rookie. And it's like now what seemed negative two, three years ago is a positive in shaping his ability to key this unit and this system five on four. And I find it kind of fascinating to watch because it's it's a perfect marriage almost of, like, Besser's high hockey IQ and the fact that necessity and the quality of his teammates has kind of forced him to bump around to do everything. And now he's in, as you say, he's in this like this system that prizes flexibility. Now he's doing around.
0: everything. And it's like, well, I can go everywhere, yeah, right, and
1: I can pop up in different places and I can use my skill set. Now that the Canucks are playing jazz, the fact that Besser's the most adept with this formless noodling is paying off. <laughs> I actually think I've gotten more into jazz. Since, since, I since called we up. had the
0: conversation about it, yeah, I'm yes. like, I should listen to this yes more. Um, no, he's been great, and again, like just the, the work he does in front of the net, in addition to the hockey IQ and the high skill that he has, is really really impressive. And I, I think, just in terms of like the thing that brings me the most, just like kind of primitively happy emotions watching this team is seeing Besser. Longest tenured guy on the actual roster, like Brock Bester, only guy left on this team who played with the Sadines. You know what I mean? He's been here for a long time, and to see him
1: have this redemption arc is really impressive. We um, <laughs> we have someone who's texted in about Tyler Myers plus minus like four times. And finally, plus it ten. Concludes, finally, it concludes with for all the love, for the love of all that is holy, can we please acknowledge Tyler Myers being plus ten? Yes. Tyler Myers' game has it. stabilized. Let's acknowledge it. I
0: also enjoyed this from Marcus good and thir- Gibson. Good third pairing, man. Myers-Susie, it's been a good third pairing. It has. Yeah. It has. And Myers... Well, as you said, when when everyone was going through the... Uh, when when Myers was really in the... You know, down in the in the dumps and people were all over him, like... He has every chance to be a really good third-pairing defenseman or a really solid third-pairing defenseman for a good team. And lo and behold, we're seeing it right now, right? The Canucks are playing well, and Myers has been a really solid third-pairing defenseman for them. And, yeah, it helps that he has a very credible – probably even like a little bit overqualified to be on the third player, pair guy in Carson Susie. It helps that the team is playing really well in front of him. But that was always the point, right? That if you put Tyler Myers in the right situation, you're going to get good results. And it turns out it happened here rather than him being dealt at the deadline.
1: For Absolutely. It to happen. No, for sure. And by the way, I just wanted to read this too from Marcus and Gibson's in civil war terms. I write you with great joy. Our savior, the Royal child Quinn Hughes has arrived on our shores with reinforcements from Czechia. <laughs> Sir Philip Peronic. <laughs> reinforcements from Czechia. I like I like the idea of Philip peronic as like a Hessian yeah uh, warrior here. That's great. Arriving like uh um what is that
0: Like the uh the the riders from Rohan to save the battle at the, sure.
1: at the you know at the turn of the tide. I thought you were thinking about Christopher Walken from Sleepy Hollow but <laughs> sure, that too. Um
0: <laughs> this text came in a little bit earlier uh here from Tommy in the Ridge. He says, "I'm loving this, start boys, but thinking towards the playoffs." Do we need some more size toughness at the bottom end of the lineup? That's from Tommy in the Ridge. I thought Dakota Joshua had a really good game uh, last night and was like noticeably using his his physicality and his size. Obviously, Sam Lafferty brings an element of that. Look, I'm, I have no doubt that if you asked Rick Tockett and and he was giving you a straight up honest answer, he would say, "Yeah, I would love more size and toughness on this roster." If I was, if, I will say though, if I was going to look for one place where you're like, "Ooh, they need somebody with that physical edge." I wouldn't necessarily say the bottom of the roster. No, like I would say if
1: you could plug that in in the top six, take. that's where you're really cooking, then, like, right? Like big functional skill, I think, would yeah. be a boon, right? Because, because one thing you want, you want more uh, toughness and grit in your bottom six. Like the the best guy to do that's Phil DiGiuseppe. If you were able to find a guy mm, who, to supplant him at his spot, right? Yeah. But also, you know, the club's usage of Kuzmenko, right? Effectively him and Beauvillier are like building the Canucks did this a little bit with uh, Erickson and Vertanen. And this is obviously like a champagne problems version of that, yeah. but Kuzmenko and Beauvillier are effectively like a top line forward in the aggregate. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a
0: platoon situation in baseball. Pl- exactly yeah. right. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. Against lefty pitching Kuzmenko's in trying to generate offense. And once you have the lead Beauvillier goes into that spot, you know, at some point, I do sort of wonder, like, what do, what do things look like if the Canucks have another two-way, not driver, but, like, a a, a more trusted two-way winger on Pedersen's yep. wing with Mikhaev. Is that something that would benefit them? Especially because, you know, like, did you see last night? So Pedersen, Pedersen played one minute of his five-on-five ice time with Quinn Hughes. One minute. Mm-hmm. Rick Tockett effectively, you know, self-matched alongside Adam Foote, who runs the defense, Hughes with Miller. 75% of JT Miller's ice time was with Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. Miller, DiGiuseppe, Besser, Hironik, Hughes were a five-man hard match with Connor McDavid. Like, everything they saw was against McDavid. And Pedersen is basically around right now to insulate the bottom pairs against secondary competition. Well, Hughes helps Miller, at least at least tread water. Like last night, they didn't even tread water. They were demolished territorially, but got under McDavid's skin and won the game. So you're not going to go. second guess it. But helps Hughes ba- helps Hughes helps Miller battle Tufts. Pedersen insulates. You know what? What I think we still see is Vancouver's shallower defense core. So when you think about like what's the next level for this team. Like right now, Rick Tockett is designing his deployment so that his two top two way drivers are effectively like, you know, what, what were the big questions we had going into the season? How well can Miller handle toughs? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? If you give him Hughes and heronic really well, it, really well, you know, what about the depth of this defense core? Well, if they spend a lot of ice time with Pedersen, you notice it an awful lot less, but at some point it would be if you were able to upgrade the bottom end of that defensive group. Right. Yeah. Um, if you were able to create an environment where Hughes and, Hughes and Peterson could sort of roll with a little more confidence, then, then you'd be able to use Hughes and Pedersen to attack a little more than what the Canucks are doing right now, where it feels like they're being used almost to hide some of vancouver's like still extant roster i think obviously right shot defenseman still as
0: well as good as mark friedman is remains like a clear probably the number one clear area of need and then the other one as i said like a a hard skill legit top six guy to pair with Elias peterson i think that would be an incredible incredible fit now it's very difficult to find those players they're extremely in demand for a reason but if we're talking about like toughness physicality, tenacity, all of those things, yeah, you love to add it at the bottom of the roster, but if you find a guy like that who can play and keep up with Elias Pettersson, that has the feel of one of the missing ingredients uh, as we start to look ahead to the playoffs and whether this team can do some real damage down the road
1: and in spring. And I know we're we're up against it, but the last thing that I did want to check based on a texter, Canucks still minus 200 to make the playoffs, so that value is still on the board. And the Edmonton Oilers still minus 225 to make the playoffs. So the That's Oilers still with better playoff odds wild. per the books than the Vancouver They're Canucks.
0: 14 points back.
1: Uh, no, it's it, lit- incredible. It literally is wrong at this point. Yes.
0: Uh, all right. We will wrap it up there. We are back tomorrow looking ahead to the Canucks road trip. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting in. Uh, thanks for listening to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650.